You know, it's actually been a while since we've seen Q. Which was actually not intentional. In fact, there were two separate Q episodes which were being worked on in the script room for uh, Season 4 and Season 5, both. The only one we know a lot about is Q Makes 2, which was an episode that was supposed to be about Q. You know, Picard was like, oh, we are beyond, you know, we have evolved beyond our human sensibilities. And Q was like, oh, really? And then Q... And as a consequence, he split the crew in two. And they were going to have, like, the evil crew and the good crew. But then they tried to have, like, the one-dimensional crew and then the good crew. And then they tried to have the fully fleshed-out crew and the good crew. The script wasn't f coming together. And what's funny to me is they, they all complain about how the script was simply too complex, too complicated. I don't think that was an issue. Especially since Voyager would later do basically the same thing. And, oh, that's right, the original series has already done this. Twice. Now, in fairness, neither of those, I don't know, those three uh, incidents really did it quite the same way. But my point being, that would be my first thought. We've already had Enemy Within. Do we really need to do that again? I mean, bringing back Q is nice and John Delancey's amazing, but you got to do something with him, right? Which brings us to this episode, where they don't really do anything with them. <clears throat> that being stated, I do want to mention something. First of all, this episode might actually be the most average Q episode for me. Most of the bad Q episodes have things that just make me go, Arr! and most of the good ones make me go, yes, this is amazing. But then we have this one, just right in the middle. It's there. I actually asked a few people on Discord, what do you think of Amanda Rogers? And their response was, who? A couple people were like, couple people were like no, I think I recognize her. This is not a particularly memorable story, which is a damn shame, because I feel like there's a lot of potential in the, in the plot, which is utterly untouched upon. Now, this is a good time to mention something else here. There's a bit where Q pretty much straight up threatens her. It's, a, it's in a scene where he is privately with Picard. It's actually in about Act 3 of the episode. Now... If that feels inconsistent with the rest of the episode, that's because it is. That was added so late into production, they had already filmed other parts of the episode when they added that. That's how far into production that came in. Now, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, that's horrible. But it's worth noting, that is not the first time that's happened in Star Trek in general, in TNG in general, or with the Q in specific. That is to say, Q himself, John Delancey. Uh, this actually happened back in Q Who, I pointed that out, where John Delancey and or the director were like, were basically on set, already filming, and they're like, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. This isn't going to be Q's reaction. He's going to be just completely dismissive of this. And so, on the fly, on the day of filming, they changed it, and what we got was Q Who. I point that out because there's a little bit of precedence for this, and I point that out because John Delancey's always had a large amount of... I guess leeway is the word I want to use with how he portrays his character. And Delancey pretty much insisted on being more, using his own words here, malevolent with this one. I've mentioned before how there are multiple interpretations of Q, the main Q, the John Delancey Q. I've also pointed out how that's basically just an out-of-character thing. It's a consequence of different writers disagreeing on how the character should be. We now have to add the character, that is to say the actor, excuse me, also disagreeing on how he should be. He comes across as straight-up malevolent in this episode, per his own description. 
Now, I don't quite buy that take on Q myself, and I've actually seen in the comments section for some of the previous Q episodes the idea that it's actually multiple Qs, which conveniently helps to explain away the problem. <clears throat> but for me, I mean, it, for me it's an out-of-character problem. It's just something I dismiss because different writers, right? I've always said I like the idea of Q, the, uh, the one who is ultimately here to help us. The Q we'll be seeing in Tapestry, the Q we'll see in All Good Things. The Q we saw in Q Who. Arguably, the Q we saw in Death Wish. Each of these Qs was, in some way or another, the Q who ultimately, while he was not a good person, he was nevertheless trying to guide and help us, humanity as an aggregate, and the crew in specific. And I've always kind of liked that particular take on Q myself. Which brings me to this episode, where... Well, here he's just the enforcer of the continuum, with a bit of a malevolent tint to him. I do gotta admit something really weird. So I'm watching this episode, and I think I mentioned I haven't seen TNG in several years. So I'm watching this episode, and I'm actually looking down, scribbling down a note, and all of a sudden I hear Luminara Unduli, and I'm like, like what? I look up, and it's just... Oh, okay. I just think it's funny that, you know, now I recognize her as who she would later play. Anyways. <clears throat> so, they have a nice little teaser, you know, the dogs vanishing. And, of course, the episode name is True Q. Even though Q doesn't show up until 9 minutes and 34 seconds, we kind of know where this is going. Several people, including other analyzers of Trek, have complained or made mention of the flaw with the episode. The big flaw. That this is the Amanda Rogers show. I've had that in the back of my mind leading up to this episode, and I had that thought in the back of my mind as I was watching it. I don't think I agree. Because it's it's a true statement, don't mistake me. It is definitely the Amanda Rogers show. Each of the main characters is a guest star in this episode. But I don't think that's really my problem with it. I mean... To use another example, if I might be so bold, uh, Realm of Fear was the Barkley episode, with most of the main characters being guest stars in the episode about Barkley. But that didn't really bother me then. Now, you could argue that the main, guest, the main characters were still significantly involved in it, and that's a valid statement. But my point being, I think it's not about who actually gets the focus, or who gets the development, but more about what they do with it. That, I feel, is where they kind of fall apart a little bit. Don't mistake me, I do still think that the Amanda Rogers show idea isn't a bad idea. But the problem is, they come up with several very fascinating ideas and never develop them. They spend way too much time meandering up until the point where she becomes a Q. Way too much time. That should have been something that was front-loaded, in my opinion. And then most of the episode could have been spent analyzing and discussing the thoughts and, and dilemmas there. Because there are two dilemmas brought up about this, and they're barely discussed. Now, moving back a little bit. There's this scene where a cargo thing almost, fall, almost falls on Riker and she moves it out of the way. When are they going to start securing cargo in this frickin' ship? Does no one remember what Worf went through? Oh, of course they don't, because he was well enough to fight in hand-to-hand -hand combat the very next episode. You ever wonder why the lack of continuity thing kind of bugs me? It's little things like that. Voyager arguably did this worse because, you know, to use the most infamous example, oh my god, we've got all this data about this sector. Next episode, we have no idea where we're going and no idea where to get a refill. If only we had a bunch of data about this sector. Next episode, 
It's not that hard to have a little continuity. You don't have to have string continuity, damn it. Anyways, anyway, sorry, sorry. <clears throat> so then the core breach happens. One of the things I like about the core breach is they're all basically completely on it. They are very professional and very dealing with it in exactly the right way they should. And under normal circumstances, they probably would have successfully saved the ship. But you can tell, basically, each time they move to fix something, something else goes wrong. And then they move to fix that, and something else goes wrong. And finally, it blows up, probably a few minutes before it actually should have, because it's just being escalated by Q. It's just a nice little touch there. Funny fact, later on, someone, I think it's Troy, asked Q, what would have happened if she hadn't stopped the breach? He, would have, he says, well, then I would have known she wasn't Q. He says that so casually, but he doesn't actually answer the question. I, I do personally think he would undo it, but that's just my take on it. I mean, if nothing else, he can't let go of Picard, can he? <clears throat> so, uh, he, he explains what he's go what's going on. You know, oh, her, the parents, and oh my god, they decided to have kids. I'll never understand the fascination with children. Funnily enough, he becomes extremely enamored of his own child almost immediately over in Q in the Grey. Although, well, let's just go ahead and be blunt here. Amanda Rogers will never be even mentioned again after this point, and will never have anything to do with anything, even though she would have been directly relevant in multiple future Q episodes, not the least of which being all three Voyager Q episodes. So, maybe not thinking about that is the best thing. Yes, let's stop thinking. <sighs> I'm sorry, I sound so acerbic here, because... Because I hate that defense. I have heard people tell me, to my face, that I should, and I've, of course I heard a lot online as well, that I should just turn off my brain. That I should stop thinking. That I should just enjoy the episode as it is. I hate that. I hate that defense. Because what that defense is, is saying, of course it's stupid, but who cares? What's your problem? Why do you care if it's stupid? Is basically what that defense is. I can't stand that. <sighs> I've heard that recently, if it's not obvious, since that's immediately on my mind. Anyways, so, note that Picard, once again, this is something that's been a recurring trend for several episodes now. Picard is, once again, very adamant about the fact that Amanda should have the right to choose. That she should be able to decide what happens to her and what she is. And Q actually <laughs> relents after a bit, like, okay, that's fine, 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 whatever. Now, I mentioned the malevolence thing already. This is pretty much the moment at which Q fully shows himself as an enforcer again. Basically, they're trying to figure out what she is. And note that they decide that if she's a hybrid, she has to be destroyed immediately. That's never discussed. And it should be. So I'm going to. I hope you'll share your thoughts on this as well, because I would love to hear your thoughts. Because, well, at that point, she's an unknown variable. A threat, to be perfectly blunt. Something that might either be able to overcome or be able to resist, or be able to push against the Q continuum as a whole. And that's terrifying in its own way. Now, you might say, well, the Q continuum is evil, so that's a good thing. Just because the continuum is, arguably, evil, uh, I, I prefer the term totalitarian, although you could also go with the term dystopian, doesn't necessarily mean anything opposing it is going to be a good thing, right? What if there's some other incredibly powerful being named, I don't know, Zero out there who is capable of pushing up against the Continuum that is a rogue element? Miss Rogers here could turn into such a thing. They don't know. So the idea of just, uh, uh, actually, let me use this hand for this one, nipping that in the bud actually makes a weird amount of sense. Now, I do think it's too extreme, 
and I do think it's the wrong choice, but I also think it makes sense. See, this is why I say this is something that could be discussed. One of the really interesting things about the queue, and if I'm being blunt, I think this is actually a problem of the writers, because this is a consistent problem. This could be on purpose, who knows. But one of the consistent problems with the queue, and especially the queue continuum, is they're very simplistic. Their solutions are very extreme, all or nothing. And you know my opinion on extremes. So for me, I look at this and think, well, there's like 30 other different solutions. Like, okay, if you are a squishy human and someone comes after you with a knife, there's only a few things you can really do about that. If you're a Q and someone comes after you with a knife, there is basically infinite things you can do about that. Like, I've actually been quoted as saying before, when you have enough power, you no longer have to hurt anyone. So why do the Continuum always insist on the hammer and sledge approach? So they could try to limit her. They could try to study her. They could try to raise her in a specific manner and make sure that she is raised in a manner that she won't be a danger and a threat to society. There's even a quote later, done as a joke, admittedly, but still a quote that says, with unlimited power comes great responsibility, right? The Q have to manage the situation, and I'm actually kind of with that, as absolutely horrible as that probably sounds. I just think they're being too extreme in how they apply it. Note that they give Amanda the choice that the, her parents were given. You can stay, just never use your powers, or return to the continuum. They stayed, they used their powers, they were executed. And so the same offer is given to Amanda. And I like how she agrees with this so readily and easily, and Q's like, this isn't that easy of a choice. And he's right. I want you to imagine, if you can, for a moment, that you have Q powers. And you are told you can never use them, or else you'll be killed. Think about that for a second. I imagine that at least some of you would still find that temptation overwhelming. Maybe not for personal pr progress, but at some point there might be something that is sufficiently important to you, or extreme in its impact, that you would be like, yeah, okay, I'll take the execution. Snap. I mentioned... Um, Back in Inner Light, the doomed scenario. If I had Q powers and I was told not to use them or I'd die, and we were in a doomed scenario here, I'd accept the death. I mean, surely I'm not the only one who thinks that way, right? Now granted, that is an extreme, but you can kind of see the mentality. What if, let's use something more personal, your child or younger brother or younger sister, someone very close to you who is young, that's important, is killed. Now, I hope you never have to go through that, first and foremost. But second of all, cannot you understand the temptation to fix that, even at the cost of your own life? I actually find myself wondering what her parents did, what temptation they succumbed to. They never tell us that. Like I said, there's a lot of really fascinating ideas here they never cover. This is one of the few times we get an insight into Q society, into the way the Q as an aggregate, as a culture, thinks. That's all about Amanda. I mean, I mean, sorry for saying that, but this could have been about Q society from her perspective, and instead, it's not. Let me bring up another point. There's this bit, let me rewind a second here. Um, Q shows up, and he's basically trying to determine if she can live or whatever. And there's this bit, and I'm, I'm curious of your thoughts here. 
Do you think Q is effectively here to rescue her from the continuum, or do you think he is here to execute her and is unfortunately proven wrong? Now, if you don't get the distinction, then let me try that again. One of those is he is fully the malevolent entity of the continuum. He is here to kill her, and unfortunately, it looks like he can't do it right off the bat, so he has to go around it another way. Or, the Continuum has sent him here to kill her, or verify if she must be killed, and he's doing a, a little bit of a song and dance to try and prevent her from being executed. Which take on that do you prefer? I'm not going to give my own opinion, because I frankly already have, but I'm very curious what you think on that. There's... Q, John Delancey, to be more accurate, plays himself very harshly with her. And I think that works with both perspectives that I just mentioned. If he is here trying to judge her and execute her, then of course he'd be very harsh. And if he's here to try and save her life from execution from his superiors, then of course he would be very harsh with her. Because, because there's no room for error here. Because this has to be established as an strict absolute, and they're on a timetable, and this needs to be dealt with. So you can kind of see why in both cases it kind of works. He also spends some interesting time trying to develop basically her interest in being a Q. Unfortunately, most of that has to do with very little simple things. And I stress that word simple. There's a bit where she does an experiment quickly. And Crusher's like, ah, oh, I wanted to know, I wrote it down, what was it? Um, the rates of mitosis. So now this experiment is worthless. Okay, so why can't they just uh, undo all that? And then we're going to go ahead and accelerate the rate and accelerate the tricorders themselves. So basically there's a little time bubble where everything's going at a much quicker rate and then undo it and what do you know? You've got your rate of mitosis within a matter of seconds. I point this out. This is the, this is the problem I mentioned earlier. I feel like too many of the writers don't understand the power they've handed to this character and they think in far too simplistic terms. There are so many uses. I mean, granted, I have the advantage of fiction and analyzing fiction for the better part of 30 years, but there's so many ways you can use power in such a circumstance. You have an infinite toolbox, for God's sakes. Use it. That being said, in defense of this episode, I think the hide-and-seek is actually probably one of the better parts of the episode. I know that sounds so strange, but there's something weirdly engaging about the idea of you have to detect where someone is based uh, when they are using their own vague powers to hide themselves, mask themselves. But then you also have to find them once you get there. You have to unveil them. So it's like a three-part step. And that's actually something kind of cool about that. Q, John Delancey, being far more versed in this, would be able to hide himself completely from the completely inept Amanda. So he has to be deliberately shining a spotlight on, on himself, so to speak, or, or putting out a little bit of a pulse of whatever so that she can detect him. Just enough. And I like the idea of masking it more and more and more as she gets more adept at detecting it. There's just some interesting... It's a cultural thing. How do you have fun as a Q? Well, what if you play hide-and-seek with another Q? Like, I just like that. Forgive me, but you know me. <clears throat> or maybe you don't. I like the kind of cultural, societal sort of a thing. Anyways. So... There's this bit where, you know, Crusher decides... Uh, Crusher gives a line I wanted to comment on. She's asked, if you could bring back Jack, your husband, would you? And Crusher says, she doesn't say yes, and she doesn't say no. She says, I'm not faced with that choice, so I don't know how to respond to that. 
Actually, funnily enough, she is completely faced with that. If she asked Amanda to bring back her husband, she totally would. But let's ignore that. It's just interesting, the maturity of that statement, because a lot of things we don't know the answers to unless we're actually faced with the questions. We can speculate, and we can use previous experience to judge that, but there's a several things, especially on the extreme end of scales, where until you're in the moment, you don't really know how you're going to react, right? Which brings me to another interesting point. There's this dilemma. And there's actually two dilemmas. Dilemma number one is, what do you do with Rogue Q? And dilemma number two is, do you tell Amanda the truth? Now, I'm going to address dilemma number two first because it's the quicker one. Do we tell her the truth about this? Does she deserve to know? Will this change anything? Is this knowledge that she wants? I know that sounds like a horrible thing, but it is a often debated topic that truth, absolute truth, is not always good to be shared, if that makes any sense. Um, I go back to inner light, to use my parallel. In inner light, they are doomed. Should they tell everyone, or should they hide the truth? That's the kind of idea I'm talking about here. Now, they just skip right over that dilemma. Screw actually discussing that. They just tell her. Which leads to the far more interesting dilemma in my mind. Now, you are the Q continuum. And Q gives a very strong point as to what's going on here. Now, there's this... I have to take a quick aside. Her family was killed in Topeka, Kansas by a very suspicious tornado. I have a really, really weird theory that Q himself did that, that he was the executioner there, John Delancey Q. Because to be perfectly frank, most of the other Q we see don't have the imagination or sense of irony to do something like that. They would have just, oh, sorry, wrong hand. They would have just, and that's the end of it. I only point that out because he, in the scene where they talk about that, he is exceptionally sinister. And, of course, that was written after that. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I just skipped over the Riker romance thing. So there's a Riker romance thing. Everybody involved agreed it shouldn't have happened. And I am on board with that. What in God's name were they thinking with that? Like, I get the overall narrative point, the thematic point, which was... Uh, how do I put this? Instant gratification not being gratifying is basically what they were going with. And, okay, sure... But it doesn't really feel like it fits with the rest of the episode, and it doesn't cohese with either of the major score, core themes or the dilemmas that they never spend any time addressing. No, so, back to said dilemmas. <sighs> Actually, quick quick aside before I move on, before I forget. Q mentions the jury's still out on that trial, which is funny because he mentioned it was over in Q Who. But I point that out because, well, there are some theories going around that this was done on purpose, and they already had an idea what they were going to do with all good things. Anywho. So... Q has a point. Why do you think the Q continuum is so harsh on Rogue Q? Now, I originally posited the idea that it was because either they were evil and could not stand the fact that anything was not under their control, or that they were, let's call it more neutral, and worried about what a Rogue Q would do when they're not being supervised. Or let me put this another way. You have Q powers. Congrats! Let's assume you're a good person for a second. I know it's a stretch, but work with me. Now let's also assume that several of your friends... Nah, that's a bad way to put it. Let's say everyone who lives within a 10-mile radius of you also has Q powers. How many of those complete strangers do you trust with that level of power? 
It's not hard to really think about this perspective if you think about it in that macroscopic view. The idea that they have to be careful with the greater universe because the level of power that Qs have is at the extreme level. And so any Q that is rogue is something that is by definition a threat, circling back to what I mentioned earlier with Amanda Rogers herself. Now, we find out they were given the choice to not use their powers. They chose to use their powers and they were executed. Again, I would really like to know what they did, what they actually did. I have a theory, by the way. I think they produced Amanda Rogers. I'm serious. I think that was the thing they did with their powers. <laughs> but that is purely a theory. A lore... No, sorry, sorry. A theory with no real substance to it. That being stated, though... <clears throat> What, uh, what, where do you side on that side of that judgment? Like, okay, obviously, if the Q continuum is evil and they just want to have control, then, you know, that's horrible. But if they're trying to, for lack of a better way to put it, police the cosmos, you can kind of see the, the side they're coming from a little bit more. Again, I feel they are too extreme in their resultant, in, in their method. But you can kind of see the mindset there, can't you? And this is why I say this with such a questioning voice, because I think there's a really good core dilemma there. How do beings with absolute power police other beings with absolute power? How do they deal with that? This then leads to the only defense I could see of the extreme methods they use. There's an old saying, and I forget what it is, but it's basically if someone hurts you, you hurt them back much, much harder, to the point where they are incapable of retaliating any further. Why? Well, because if you use a measured response, then you leave open the chance that they will come back at you with an even greater response. No, if they come after you, you shut them down hard. Now, that's just from a mortal perspective, from a, from a fleshy, squishy perspective. Imagine at the level of the Q. The idea here being, they take, they basically alpha strike as their first response to ensure that there is no possibility of any kind of counterattack. Now, that is arguably morally wrong, but there is a degree of correctness in the logic that goes into it. And you can kind of see why I find this whole topic fascinating, and it's aggravating the episode doesn't even discuss this at all. This is also just ignoring the fact that they could just sort of... Oh, wrong hand. They could just sort of make the Q into a, a human. They've done that before with Q on this very show. Just a few seasons ago, right? Uh, Q2, I think that was? No, it wasn't Q2. I don't remember the name of the episode. It was one of the previous Q ones. I, I get them all confused. They all have Q in it. Except Tapestry. And All Good Things. And Encounter Farpoint. Shut up! And Death Wish. Point being! <clears throat> I also find the idea fascinating. There's an old saying. I'm actually going to... This is my saying. I say this. This is a quote of mine. You know who you know who you really are when you're at your worst, when you are abandoned and alone and powerless and helpless and hurt and afraid, that you are just at the absolute depths of you, of who and what you are. I hope to God most of you never experienced that. I have. In real life, I have been at my worst, and I have an understanding of who I really am as a consequence of that. I'm actually pretty happy with it, if I'm being honest. But I didn't know that until I was at my worst. 
Now, what does this have to do with this episode? Humanity. Picard gives a actually pretty good speech to Q, and Q actually enjoys it. But it's a speech about how humanity pr pr provides a unique moral, moral, moral relativism, or lack of moral relativism, I guess is a better way to put that, to the Q continuum as a whole. That because of the fact that humanity is so limited, they have, as a consequence, developed concepts like good and ethics and morality, right? Because humanity, in a cosmic sense, is a species who has already been through at their worst, and even still is at a very limited state, again, on a cosmic scale. By contrast, the Q, well, they'd be at their best, because they're at the absolute top of their game and capable of anything. This kind of ties back into, uh, as much as I hate to give any credits to that episode, uh, Man of the People, that was it, right? The idea that he had no immune system, no psychic immune system, because he never grew up with any of that negativity. It is within the realm of possibility. It's a, it's broached, but again, not discussed, because we had to have the episode be about Amanda. It is broached, the idea that the Q Continuum never really developed a core sense of ethics and morality, a real good sense of good, because they didn't need to. They had power. And they always had power, and therefore the end is basically the concept there. Now, how much of that is true or not is completely up to you. I wish the episode would have discussed the point better. But funny little fact, if I might be so bold. I have another quote. You know who you really are when you're at your best. Now, I believe Abraham Lincoln also said a quote similar to that. You know, If you really want to judge the character of a man, you give him power over you. Um, because I feel like both points are a good way to judge the character that you are. And that, I feel, is the core element that this episode is sadly missing. This could have been an episode about a species at the low end of the spectrum, humanity, and a species at the high end of the spectrum, the Q, and the two's dynamic and viewpoints and perspectives and how they differ so much when you're at your worst and when you're at your best. And Amanda being the inter interlinking point there, the best of both worlds. Instead, this is the Amanda Rogers show. And she's just pure Q, and they leave, and they never re referenced again. The end. <sighs> Shrug? I'm very curious of all your guys' thoughts on the topics I've brought up that the episode did not. I really am. If you feel like sharing, please feel free. Otherwise, I'll see you next time, guys.